If you've been with us during this summer, then you know we've been doing more of a a back-to-basics about the Bible. And you might have asked yourself this question, what does God expect of me? And you could reduce that down to what the Bible calls the great commandment. And that is to love God and to love your neighbor. So you might ask yourself, well, how is it that God would want me to love him? And as we've walked through these Ten Commandments during this summer, the answer to loving God is found in the first four commandments. And that is that you are to love God by putting him above any and anyone else. You are to learn of God as you read and, and intake the scriptures rather than engrave in images. You are to honor his name and to seek to share him with others. And you also are to take time to rest and invest in your relationship with him. And that's the first four commandments of how we are to love God. And then how are we to love our neighbor? And that's the next six commandments. We start with our parents that we honor and obey them. We involve them in our lives, in our adult years, and then we look after them as they are advancing in their older years. We are to be kind to others, forgiving them when they wrong us. And those who are married, we are to keep our wedding vows and being faithful to our spouse and maintaining a life of purity. And instead of stealing We are to work hard and be generous to others. Today, we're going to learn about the ninth commandment, and that is where we are to use our words not to hurt, but to build one another up. And we found in these commands that they are easy to understand, but impossible for us to carry out. And we've been reminded of how far short we fall. And it's not so much a matter of trying harder, but by being rescued from our sinful condition as we've always ended up talking about Jesus. Today, I'd like you to look with me at Exodus chapter 20. We'll just read the ninth commandment of how we can love one another. It's found in verse 16 where it reads, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Shall we pray together? Father, if we just close our eyes and we think about our life experiences and we are honest, it seems very difficult to know in our culture who is telling us the truth. We have lost confidence in our media. We have no idea if what they are reporting is true or not. We we have learned to step back and be on guard when we're trying to purchase something because it seems that the salesman has the bottom line as their most important thing rather than our own interest. And in our relationships with our friends and our neighbors, we're not exactly sure who to trust and who to just 
take everything they say with a grain of salt. And we're not talking so much about others this morning as we're going to be talking about our own hearts. So I pray today that there would be some heart evaluations that take place, not so much of the, the physical part of our body, but the spiritual part of our body. To see if we are ones that speak truth and if our conversations is trustworthy. Lord, I pray for your spirit to fill us today, fill our room today, that it wouldn't be so much an ordinary man speaking, but your word would just be unleashed and, and allow us to examine our own hearts and to see once again our need for grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2001, George O'Leary had landed his dream job. In December, he was named the head football coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And the press conference has already taken place. And newspaper reporters were doing what they do. They, they dig into someone's past and they try to find out some little angled stories that can help the reader to find out more about who their new coach is. And so a local newspaper uh, looked over where this coach had played football at. And he reached out to the University of New Hampshire and he wanted to find out from some old teammates just what kind of a man George O'Leary was when he was a player. But when he reached out to this university, he found out that there was no record of George O'Leary there at the University of New Hampshire, and he had not played on the football team. So the reporter made this known to the Notre Dame Sports Information Office, and their director did some more investigating ended up calling George O'Leary, and he said, well, well, technically I wasn't on the team. You see, my first year I had knee surgery, and the next year I had mono. And as the story began to unfold, a few years earlier, George O'Leary was, was applying for the head football coach at Syracuse, and in order to beef up his resume, he offered just a very subtle line. That says, University of New Hampshire, three-year lettered. Harmless, right? It was just a small lie. Was it big enough to really turn O'Leary's dream into a nightmare? Yes. It not only costed him his job, but it costed him his reputation. Perhaps the most telling response came from the coach's brother who said, and I quote, Is anyone trying to tell me that resumes are truthful? In the America we live in, the willingness to lie on a resume is an indication of how much you want the job. Sadly, this attitude is all too typical. According to a survey of nearly 3 million job applicants, nearly 50% of American resumes contain one or more falsehoods. So this morning, what I'd like us to do is just to consider this ninth commandment. 
And then what we will do is first consider the commandment itself. Secondly, we'll cause, we'll consider the cause and why we are unable to keep this commandment. Thirdly, we'll look at the consequence of breaking this commandment. And then I can't wait to get to the cure, the cure for us to keep this commandment. So first, let us consider the commandment itself. And if we want to look at this commandment again in chapter 20, verse 16, and read it in its most literal context, we will see that this is a courtroom language. So I have here, in the courtroom, the ninth commandment actually forbids perjury. Look at it again at verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. These words are written in the context of a court trial. Now, these were written before there was audio recordings, video surveillance, and DNA testing. A person's testimony was as powerful enough to actually accuse one, and if convicted, that person could literally be killed. And so we see here from the Scriptures, and we know this about our court system, that the entire court system is based on truth. According to Proverbs 19.28, a worthless witness mocks at justice. If there are lies, there is no foundation for our court system to stand. So in the Old Testament... One could not be convicted based on one person's witness, but there needed to be at least two or more. And if convicted, the accuser, the one who who made this accusation, he or she would have the responsibility of taking the stone and throwing the first stone at the guilty person. Now, if you think about it, there's a lot of wisdom there. It's one thing to make this accusation, But it's another thing to actually be the first to throw a stone so that that person would be punished by death. And these accusations were not to be taken lightly. In fact, we see in in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 18 through 19, that if you made an accusation against someone, I observed this person commit this crime, and it was found out by the elders or the jury, that that person was actually innocent, you, as the accuser, could be guilty of the crime for making that false accusation and actually receive the same penalty that you were hoping that person would receive. We see an example of how this ninth commandment is violated in the book of 1 Kings 21. And I'm just going to summarize the story. There was a king named Ahab. He had this palace, and as he looked out beside the palace wall was this beautiful vineyard. And he thought, man, that would be awesome to have that vineyard. I'd love to have that for myself. It fits perfectly. It's right next to my wall here. And so he appeals to the owner. Do you remember his name? Naboth. And he says, I'd like that vineyard. Naboth said, sorry, it's in the family, and it would not be right for me to give this up. It's my responsibility to keep this within the family. Well, Ahab had a less-than-godly wife named Jezebel, 
And the two of them schemed together. And they, they got a few what the Bible calls worthless men to, to make up some lies about this innocent landowner named Naboth. And they said, hey, we heard Naboth curse God and the king. That was a false testimony. And as a result, Naboth, this landowner, was stoned and killed. We see further examples of the ninth commandment being violated in our Lord's trial. And a follower of Jesus named Stephen, where where these liars came up and offered false testimony, and it literally led to capital punishment. So there's not only this being defined in the courtroom, but I want to suggest to you that the ninth commandment could also be explained outside the courtroom. We have observed in these commandments, at times they are stated in its most severe sense. A couple of weeks ago, Roman preached on you shall not murder. And certainly we shall not murder, but as he began to unpack what that meant, the New Testament speaks about that if we have hatred in our hearts, unforgiveness, bitterness in our hearts, is as if we've spiritually murdered them. We might not have the courage to physically take someone's life, but we don't have any problem assassinating them with words. Another example of of a severe commandment is adultery. You shall not commit adultery, and, and certainly that commandment is speaking about actually having relations with someone that is not your spouse. But when we looked at that a little bit closer, we found out that there's a spiritual adultery too, to look at someone with lustful intent. And I think the same principle now could be applied to the ninth commandment. Clearly this is speaking about perjury, where you are lying under oath. But how many here this morning are actually going to be a witness in the near future in a court trial? Don't raise your hand if you are. And so let us apply this ninth commandment outside the courtroom and see how we can violate this ninth commandment. So I think I have seven of these and I won't take a lot of time with them. The first way that we can violate is just by what you think about lying and that is offering false information. Just a a bold-faced lie. Not telling the truth at all. Do you know what God thinks about lying? In Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, the writer said, These are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. So you got this top ten list of things that God hates. Listen to what they say here now. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that makes haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Of those seven, two of them have to do with lying. When we lie, God hates that. Here's a second way outside the courtroom. We can exaggerate That's a statement 
that represents something as better or worse than it really is, according to the Oxford Dictionary. And those of us who love to fish are especially prone to this manifestation. In July, I was, uh, I was fishing. My wife and sons were up at Northland Camp, and I was going to be by myself on my birthday, so I actually drove over to be with my mom, and we fished the Chippewa River, a river that I used to fish as a kid in high school. And we were coming up on this stretch, and I said to my mom, you need to make sure you got your right lure on here because this is where a lot of big fish have been caught. Muskie are caught right up here on this stretch, Mom. So let us be ready. And as we were about ready to make the, the turn out of that bend, would you know what happened? I cast my spinner up, a massive lunge in the water, and a few cranks later, my lure disappeared and a big fish hit it. I set the hook and began to reel it in. Now the water there is very stained and all I really wanted to do was see that fish to see what it was. And it went below the canoe and, and, and fought ferociously and, and just when I thought I was going to be able to get it up to be able to see what it was, it snapped my line off. And each time I've told that story, there has been something within me that has wanted to embellish it a little bit more to speak about how that was at least a 45-inch muskie. <laughs> I mean, I think it just comes with the territory, and I have to be on guard against this ninth commandment. Here's another way we can do it. It's by breaking promises. And it is so easy for us to be able to say that we're going to do something but never fulfill that vow. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 5 says, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And I'm reminded as moms and dads the damage that we can do by just flippantly saying, well, we'll do that. And if we don't fulfill that, how we can break trust. Here's another way. Misleading or half-truths. One of our great Baptist preachers was a man by the name of Adrian Rogers. I was listening to him this week, and he was talking about as a, as a young man, he was a, a pastor of a country church, yet still in school. And he was driving this old car, and he knew the headlight was out on it. And as he was driving down this country road, there was a, a policeman that pulled him over. And he says, young man, did you know that you had a headlight out? And the pastor said, I have a headlight out? Yes, sir, you need to get that fixed immediately. And he, he gave him a warning. And as he went back into his car and he began to head down the road, the Spirit of God came all over him and said, you lied to that police officer. He said, wait a minute, didn't you hear what I said? I said, I have a headlight out. The intent and the tone can lead to a lie. I, I think I've shared this one before. When I was a teenager, I'd take the vehicle, and sometimes my mom watches these sermons, and she's about ready to be enlightened about something from my past. <laughs> I was, I was backing out of our garage and there was this aluminum frame around it, trim, 
And as I did it, I took it a little too sharp and I dented it. I went off to my work, my little school job, and then I, I, a few days later, my stepdad said, Hey, when you were driving into the garage, did, did, you, did you dent the frame of that? I said, driving in? No, 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 I didn't. I didn't do that at all. That was a lie. And eventually I was caught by him. So there's slander. Now we're really getting serious. This is where we make a false statement to damage a reputation. We may never want to murder someone with our hands, but we have no problem murdering them with our mouths. Martin Luther said, a reputation is something that is quickly stolen, but not quickly returned. There is gossip. It's another way that we can lie. Proverbs 19, or rather 18, verse 8 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. And, and do you hear what that is saying? There is something so corrupt within us that as we would enjoy a tasty meal, we enjoy a tasty bit of gossip. We are so sinister that we would love to hear and share bad news more than we would good news. A pastor, Matt Mitchell, said gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. And then there's flattery. And this is that smooth speech that is manipulative. You're hoping to, to smooth someone over so that you can get your barbs into them and, and control them a little bit later. Psalm 55 verse 21 says, His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And some of you might be thinking, well, if I can't say any of these things, what? What am I supposed to talk about? Because they come out of us so naturally. I'll give you the last one, and it's subtle. It could be just silence. Here's what I mean by that. If you see slander or you're hearing gossip or, or some of this stuff taking place, you could be guilty by not speaking up and defending someone that is being attacked with words. William Barclay said, It is an important principle that a cowardly or careless or irresponsible silence can be as senseless of a crime as false and lying speech. The sin of silence is as real as the sin of speech. And so when we hear this stuff in our church, it's important for us to be able to say, can I just ask you, have you talked to so-and-so about this? Do you have their permission to talk to me about this? Or, hey, before you go on any further, how about us pray right now to see, should we be talking about this? And perhaps the response would be, I think it's better for us to talk about something else right now. Now, just on the side, in parentheses, perhaps 
Perhaps there would be a, a place to be able to say there's a difference between the, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, isn't there? If we take this at its most literal sense, is it, is it a violation for us to joke around with one another in a very good nature? With our intents being, let's just have fun with one another, not a sarcastic way. And I, I think the answer to that is yes. It's possible for us to joke around with one another. The, the spirit of the ninth commandment is to not lie in order to damage a person. We also see examples in the Old Testament of people like the Hebrew midwives that were tasked with the responsibility that if a, a Hebrew male child was born, they were supposed to kill that child by throwing the child into the river. But when they were asked, why haven't you been doing that? Do you remember what they said? Well, these Hebrew wives are, are much stronger than the other women. And they have children before we can even get to them. And yet we don't see them condemned for that. Because the spirit was they were trying to protect children. We see examples of this in the life of Rahab, the prostitute that protected the Israelite spies. And, and in World War II history, like Corrie ten Boom, and as she was protecting the Jews. And so we, we want to also consider the letter and the spirit of this law. So that's so far as the commandment. And I've taken the most of my time with that. So let me get to the second part and the cause. Why do I break this commandment? Maybe other questions would be, where does lying come from? And who told the first lie? And when was the first lie told? I would remind you that there is one who is known as the father of lies. Jesus spoke about him in John chapter 8 of the devil. He said he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And it's important for us to hear that, that when we lie, we are acting like the devil himself, the father of lies. At the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. He created the garden. And speech at that time was always truthful. But there was one who came in and corrupted that speech. We read about him as the devil in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the free fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there's the first recorded lie. And when Eve and Adam took of the fruit, sin entered not only them, but the human race. And from that moment forward, loved ones, our speech has been corrupted. I know this is a very basic question, but, but parents... Do you have to teach your children to lie or do you have to teach your children 
to tell the truth. It comes so natural for us to lie. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in the book of Romans, Paul is recording some other Old Testament passages where he speaks about us in verses 14 and 15 of Romans 3. He says, there or our throat is an open grave. Our tongues are to deceive. The venom of asp is under our lips. And our mouths are full of curses and bitterness. We lie because we are liars. James said this of the tongue. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole world, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And all God's people said, that is hard for us to hear, but it is true. So now let us consider the consequence. Well, if God is grading on a curve, then all of us here are guilty. And is God really going to punish us for this? Once again, because there's more to get to, let me just summarize a story in the book of Acts of one couple that lied. Do you remember them? In Acts chapter 5, the, the, the context is God is doing this magnificent work. People are coming to be followers of Jesus. The church is growing. And the church is, is seeing that there are many people around them that have needs. And so they're actually selling some of their material possessions and then using that to help help these poor people. And there's this couple named Annas and Sapphira, and they had some property, and they sold some of this property. And they decided to keep back some of the money for themselves and give another portion of it to help the poor. There was nothing wrong with that. In fact, that was a good task for them. The problem was is that when they spoke to the leaders of the church, they had indicated that they had given all of the proceeds to the poor. That is lying. And do you remember what happened to them? God struck them dead for lying. And according to chapter 5, verse 11, And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. They were killed for lying. Now, what happens to a person that dies and they're still in their lies? Revelation 21, verse 8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see, we lie in order to hide things about ourselves. We lie in order to make ourselves look better than we actually are. And we lie as a weapon to injure others. And it will result in death. And unless something happens here, it will result in hell. 
So let me talk to you then finally about the cure. What is the cure for our lying tongues, our lying hearts? Well, it's to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. When we look to the pages of Scripture, it is there where we find, according to Titus chapter 1, verse 2, that God cannot lie. The very attribute of God is that He is truthful. It's impossible for Him not to tell the truth. That is not only true of God the Father, but it is true of Jesus the Son. Jesus Himself said in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth and life, and no one can come to me unless the Father, come to the Father except through me. And so we see this in Jesus. And we see that He came. And in John 17, verse 17, He said, Your word is truth. How do we know where the truth is? It lies within these Scriptures. And so what do the Scriptures say about us? This is what it says in summary. Is that you are a liar. I am a liar. The result of that will be death. And the result of that will be hell. But here is the truth. That as you have run up this massive deficit, this massive sin debt, Jesus has come to pay off your sin debt. He has come to offer forgiveness for your sins. He died on the cross. He was raised to life on the third day. And then if you would trust, if you will confess in this, and confess this alone, your sinful debt can be credited by the righteous payment that Jesus has provided for you by dying on the cross and being raised to life. Here's the second thing about not only confessing that, but then we can enter into a lifestyle of calling out to God that we might be truth speakers. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, we see the positive statement of the ninth commandment. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. The only possible hope that we have is to be truth speakers is to have a spiritual heart transplant. He gives us a new heart when we confess Him and express our need to be saved from our sins. But even that, loved ones, we need to continually to call out and ask for His help in this. Just last night, my wife and I were, were, were catching up on a few things. And then what she does is often takes the commandment that I'm about ready to preach on, and she teaches that in Sunday school. And as we were talking, she went off to study, and maybe 30 minutes later she said, you know what, what we were just talking about, I have violated the ninth commandment. And would you please forgive me? Now, this is the pastor's wife. 
And, and this is someone that's preparing to study on this stuff. Knows what is coming. But here's my point. Is that I'm just like her. And I think we're all the same. We can have this stuff right on our minds on the forefront. And we are such good liars that we can do it. Do you see how much we need God's mercy? Do you see how much we need His grace in this area? This is what the ninth commandment and all these commandments do. Is they destroy our pride and our independence. And they bring us to an awareness of our need to be continually forgiven and our need to continually ask for his help. Don't you want to use your speech to build one another up, to speak truth to one another? Well, how about maybe you're just like me. You say, I need God's help to do that. Well, let's, let's pray for that together, shall we? Lord, it's been helpful for us today to be reminded of such a practical teaching that in the same way that it matters, the words that come out of our mouth when we're speaking of your name, we're reminded of the ninth commandment today, that it matters, the words that come out of our mouth when we speak to others and when we speak about others. The Bible is true, it is honest, and it, and it tells us that our tongues are out of control. It tells us that poison spews from without, from, from within our mouths out onto people. And I suspect there's a lot of people like me that says, I want to use my tongue to bless people, to be a witness of Jesus to people. And I'm going to pray that you would work this out in my life as you are changing my heart to be more like Christ. There would be evidence of that in my word choice and how I speak to people and how I speak about people. We want to just lay ourselves out to you today. It's a change us to make us more like Jesus that every word that came out of his mouth was a fountain of life and truth. Please work that out. Today, I pray that we would not only confess our need, but where we have hurt people, that we would confess that to them as well. That you would have Highland Crest to be a church that would not even listen to slander and gossip. We wouldn't be ugly about it, but we would just be truthful to say, wait a minute, I'm not sure we should even be talking about this. Let's pray about this. Should we be talking about this? That we would be a church that's about building people up and, and instead of taking delight in people's problems, we would be about praying and trying to help people through their problems. Oh, you pray for your miraculous grace to work in us and apply this specifically in each one of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.